0: We can't put A to B to C and say, I I don't even, I don't get it. It's like Peter when he was in prison facing execution the next day and an angel came and let him out. It wasn't until he was free walking down the street that he goes, wait, how did that happen? What just happened? I don't even know. Because that's what it's like. God is so skillfully invisible in the way that he does things. And if we can figure it out, it's probably not him. And so our place is to wait patiently and leave issues and outcomes in his hand. Now, what was the outcome of Sarah's fix to this complex problem that she uh, is seeking to face? There are a whole host of unintended consequences that fall out from this feeble-minded attempt to help God fulfill his promise. Number one, is that the plan seemed to work. These are unintended consequences if you're making a list in your mind or on paper. Number one is that the plan seemed to work. Notice in verse four, at the very beginning, it says, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And so they're thinking here, wow, the plan is coming together. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? God is, is blessing us. He is finally fulfilling his promise. No longer is Eliezer of Damascus the, the one who will be the heir of Abraham. Now there is a son. There is a hope. There is a seed. There is someone who is legally, biologically, a son of Abraham uh, to fulfill this thing. You say, well, wait a minute. How is that a consequence? How is that an unintended consequence in this thing? Here's, here's how it is, and it is for two reasons. Because number one, this is going to cost Abram and Sarai, 13 years of thinking that they are in the will of God when they are absolutely out of it. For the next 13 years, God is going to be completely silent in Abram's life. Not one word, not one sense of leading, not one uh, uh, word of revelation, not one appearance, nothing is going to happen in Abram's life for 13 years. And when God visits Abram again, and you can read, it's at the very beginning of the next chapter, he's going to come to him 13 years after this, after Ishmael's born, after this son of the flesh is born, God's going to come to him. And the first thing that God is going to say to Abram, when he appears to him again, is I am almighty God. First time that, that phrase for God ever used in the Bible, El Shaddai. Almighty God. It means I am almighty. It means I can do anything. It means nothing is too hard for me. It means I don't need your feeble help to bring my purposes and plans to bear upon your life. It means I am sovereign God with a capital G. That was the first word. Then he said, you're going to have a son through Sarah. (laughs) And this is going to be the sign of my covenant that I'm going to make with you. And then he explains to him the covenant of circumcision that will come upon his blood descendants, Isaac, and those that will follow. But here's the amazing thing, is that God is going to use the word covenant 13 times in chapter 17. Why 13 times does God specifically? You read it and you think, God, why are you repeating? Why are you saying covenant over and over again? It doesn't even make sense anymore that you're just saying covenant. It's like God's just going, covenant, 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 covenant. Why are you doing that? Does that have to do with the 13 years that he, didn't, he did Abram? Probably. 13 years, Abram thought, I need to help God keep his covenant. <laughs> and God says, I made a covenant with you. I know how to keep my covenant. And the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He doesn't need our help. Abram wasted 13 years. Now, I don't know if Sarah would have conceived sooner than that. I don't know the answer to that. It might have taken that long. That might have been in God's plan. I do know that God was silent for 13 years and Abram was reproved for it. The other in- unintended consequence in the success of this plan, is that Abram gave to the world a very big problem that it's dealing with even to this day. Thank you, Father Abraham. Today of That's right. That's right. The second unintended consequence of, of trying to help God out in this is that it ruined Sarah's relationship with Hagar. Now, we can suppose that there was a a much greater bond between the two of them than simply someone who was cleaning the house on an occasional basis. There was a bond that was forged there for 10 years now, almost 10 years, the better part of it. Sarai and Hagar have been together, a handmaid, closest companion. And now, a rift has been brought into that relationship that will never heal. That that It is completely broken. The the relationships outside are affected by this attempt to try to help God out, putting self before others in this sense. The third unintended consequence uh, in this, and it's seen in verse 5, is that it brought great strife into a very important marriage. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, And Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. Now did you see that? Whose idea was it? <laughs> Unreasonable. <laughs> I, know, I know they're recorded, right? <laughs> she says, and then she even owns it. She says, "I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her eyes, the Lord judge between me and you. Curse you, abram. she she's said, but but do you see what's happening here? Is that now there's problems in the marriage? This is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, what if this had been in a, in a, in a context or in a time where this broke up the marriage, this put at risk the entire plan of God for for the nations and for the coming of the Messiah into the world? There's a marriage problem that arises from trying to fix a problem. Now, I don't know if you can see through the lens of that into your own life, but there is always consequences in our marriages when we start to meddle with things that belong to God. It's just an outcome. It's something that happens. The dials get mixed up, and we things happen on an emotional level, and within our relationships, and even within us, because we're struggling with something That affect the relationships that we have around us. And that's always an unintended consequence of meddling with things that God owns and controls is that it will cause problems within our marriages. Billy Graham said that the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who's completely surrendered to him. I don't know if he actually said that. I've just heard that a thousand times, but somebody said it. But to take that a different angle on that same thought, I believe personally that the world has yet to see what God actually really intended marriage between a man and a woman to be. I believe that it is so much more and so much deeper and greater than anything that any of us can comprehend and, and probably more than anyone has ever really actually experienced what God intended marriage to be. I believe it's probably one of the greatest blessings that God has given to the human race is the gift of marriage, a gift of a man and a woman, and the two becoming one, and on on whatever levels that is possible, and to whatever depth that is possible. I don't know if I fully I don't I know I don't understand it, but I want to. And for us to do something uh, that that's going to bring strife into into that, or that in some ways going to um, confuse it or or bring injury to it. We're sinning against ourselves. And Abraham does that. Sarah does that. By trying to fix this problem, she brings the unintended consequence of marital strife uh, in it. And then number four unintended consequence it's seen in verse six is that it has turned Sarah into a person that she is not. Notice the way that she deals with Hagar. It says that she dealt so roughly with her that the only solution that Hagar could find to it was to leave. The Bible says that Sarai is the example of a godly woman that has a meek and quiet spirit. She's the example in the Bible of the ornament of grace that God made a godly woman to be. And yet what we see in her here is the exact opposite of that description that the Bible gives to her. It turned her into a person that she wasn't. She became psycho bride towards Abraham and she became a a tyrant to the people that were around her in her life. And anytime we usurp the place of God in the things within our life, it always has the unintended consequence of messing with who we're supposed to be inside of ourselves. Remember what happened to David when he took the plan of God into his own hands? He slew Uriah and he stole Bathsheba. He became a person that he was not. When Nathan confronted him, David was so full of rage and anger that he wanted to have a man put to death for for stealing someone's lamb. That's not who David was. The same thing we see uh, anytime in the Bible someone takes the plan of God into their own hand, it always bears uh, with it that unintended consequence of uh, of, of turning someone into someone that they are not. Uh, Moses became a murderer when he tried to take God's plan into his own hand. He killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. You know, the Bible says he was the meekest man on the face of the planet. And when we take the place of God, we become someone that we absolutely are not. So what we have here, as we sum this up, we have people stepping outside of the will of God in order to try to fulfill the purposes of God. God. And so we see all these people trying to fulfill God's will and God's plan, but yet the amazing thing about this chapter is that or at least this half of the chapter is that there's not one mention anywhere in it of prayer. Nowhere did anyone in any of this consult God and just ask him what he thought about the whole thing. There's a whole bunch of assumption, there's a whole bunch of supposed spirituality. There's a whole bunch of work and commotion and sweat, but there's not one word of prayer in asking God what he thought about these things. Now let's bring it home. Let's bring it to us. Uh, Let's bring it to our lives as we consider it, how it applies to us. Every single one of us, every person on the planet has in their life complex problems that are difficult or impossible to solve. Everyone has them. Those are the things that keep us up at night. They're the things that 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 weigh upon us when we're driving in the car and they just come. It's the thing that we wake up early in the morning, way before it's time to wake up, and 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 we are totally f- fine for that first second. But then, then we think, is this? And that thought comes into our mind and it's still there. It's still there. And, and then you can't go back to sleep because it's just, you're thinking about it and you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're working it out, and you're working it over, and you're looking for a solution. And it's like it's like a bird flying over the ocean that's looking for a resting place, and there isn't one. There's no rock, there's no twig, and so it goes around and around and around and around and around. And every single one of us, thank God it's not uh, you know l- always lifelong, it comes in seasons, but every one of us face complex problems that we can't solve. For some of us, it is a marriage problem. There's a marriage problem, and you can't solve it. It's, it's a, there's an issue. It's an issue in you. It's an issue in her. It's an issue in the family. It's. There's something there, and it, you go around and around and around, and, and you work it over and over and over and over and over, and it can happen in so many different areas of our life, but they're complex problems uh, in, in this beyond our ability to solve. Here's the amazing thing about it. I believe, and the Bible teaches this, that even those things are ordained of God within our life. This complex problem that Sarah and Abraham were facing, it was from God. It was God putting it in their path. And I believe that the same thing is true concerning the problems that we face. God is placing them in our life. Now, why? Why is God giving us problems that we can't solve, that are too big for us? It's because his desire is that we would bring those problems to him. And the reason he wants us to bring those problems to him is because what is beyond us is actually easy to him. I want you to see something. Hold your, well, you you could hold your finger here, but just turn to Genesis 25 real briefly. Genesis chapter 25. Just a few pages to the right. And look at verse 19. I want you to see this. It says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac, watch this, entreated, or prayed to or pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. That's awful simple, isn't it? (laughs) See, the son of Abram and his wife came into the same situation that Abram and Sarai, his wife, were in. But they handled it in a completely different way. And do you see the simplicity? One verse, problem solved, no consequences. (laughs) They prayed. They brought it to the Lord, the one who can solve complex problems, and they saw God solve the issue. He brought it to pass. Why is it that when we get into places where there are complex problems, we don't pray? Why is it that prayer for us, or entreating the Lord, or pleading with the Lord, or pouring it out before the Lord, why is it that that's a last resort? That we exhaust every option in our mind, and when we finally get to the point where we can't flap our wings over that ocean anymore, that then, and only then, if we even do it, will we pour out our heart to God and, and, and pray to Him. I believe it's because we make the same mistakes that Sarah made at the beginning of the chapter. It's because we, we exhaust our patience, number one. It's because we get our eyes off of God and our problem becomes so big that it eclipses God. Our problems become bigger than he is. And we think, well, he can't or he doesn't want to. And then when we can't see God, then we think that he doesn't see us and that he's against us or that this is some curse that's upon my life or he's doing this. It's not important to him, this issue that I'm going through. He doesn't want to help me. And then the only thing left at that point is just start trying things. So that's what we do. We just try things, and we make a greater and greater mess. I'm pretty good with my hands. It's, not, um, it's, uh, I, I, it's by providence and not, you know, supernatural. But I like to work with wood, and I'm building a dining room table for my wife right now for her birthday. And that doesn't make me a superior husband. She asked for one, <laughs> and I did it kicking and screaming, you know, because <laughs> I'm like you. But I'm doing it, and I'm really good with wood, but I'm really bad with finish. I don't know anything about wood finishing, and that's the stage that I'm in right now. And I have successfully ruined a very expensive, very ornate project, because I don't know what I'm doing with wood finish. (laughs) But what I have learned about wood finish is that if you don't know what you're doing, don't touch it. (laughs) And I believe that that principle applies to the complex divine problems within our lives. There are things that we're very capable of handling, and there are things that we should not touch. And when it comes to the things within our lives that only God can fix, we do well to keep our hands off of it, and to wait upon him and not to just start trying things. One of the most profound sentences in all of the Bible is the first commandment. You know the commandments, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. The very first one of those commandments, the first thing that God spoke audibly that was heard by every inhabitant of the known world at that time, Exodus chapter 20, he said this. He said, You shall have no other gods before me, or in in my sight, or at all in your life. You shall have no other gods. Now, if you just stop right there, and you begin to work that over in your mind, and think through... All of the implications that are tucked into that command, that God says you're to have no other gods within my life. What is a God, a lowercase g, or or, or something that we would make a God? Here's what it is. It is anything that we would look to, lean upon, hope in, put our trust in, take comfort from, or obtain help from that's outside of ourselves. That's a God. We're looking to something external to meet a need that I have. Now, it is, it is obvious that we all have needs, various needs, because we're imperfect. We need comfort. We need encouragement. We need wisdom. We need guidance. We need help with our complex problems. We need, we need so much that's not within us. That's, those are needs that we have. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, you are not to look to anything or anyone but me to meet those needs. That's what God is commanding in the first commandment. Now, what that means, if you carry it to the next step, is that if God's going to command me that I'm to look to him for all of these things, then that must mean that he is both willing and able to meet every single need that I have. Because if he's not, then he's not fair in commanding me those things. Because it's obvious that I have needs. We all have needs. There's things within our life. So God is calling us to depend upon him, to call upon him, to trust in him to meet all of those needs. And he's the one that can do it. He can meet every need that we have. God says no others. He can and will do anything that we need, and there's nothing to it. Let me just read to you a few promises that God gives. Because you say, well, what, what needs is God willing to meet with in my life? I mean, I look at my own problems, or my own wants, or my own desires, or my own needs. What, what is God willing to do in my life? Just listen to a few verses. God said to Abraham, he said, I am your shield, and your exceeding great reward. He owned it. He said, I am your reward. Everything in Abraham's life is tucked into that promise. We read that a couple weeks ago. In the next chapter, in verse 1, he's going to say, I am almighty God. We already talked about that, that he's the sovereign Lord. To Moses, uh, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said, tell them my name is I am. You are what? Figure it out, Moses. Is there anything that I am not is the implication? In other words, is there anything that's too hard for me? To Jeremiah, God said, I am the God of all flesh. Nothing is too hard for me. That's a pretty broad statement, isn't it? The angel Gabriel, when he came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and told her that she would conceive without ever having known a man, he laughed and he said, nothing shall be impossible for God. She said, how is this possible, seeing that I know not a man? And he looked at her and he said, nothing shall be impossible for God. When Jesus was teaching his disciples and they said, God, if a rich man can't be saved, who then can be saved? And Jesus' reply was, with men, it is impossible. And it is true with men, there is much that is impossible. But he said, with God, all things are possible. Peter would say in his epistle that God's will for our lives is that after we've suffered and gone through our season of suffering, that he will establish, strengthen, and and settle you. Settle. It's like the idea of that bird finding a resting place, that that's God's will and his power. David would say in the Psalms, he would say, I have been young and now I've been old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Jesus would say to his disciples, he would say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly of heart. And he said, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a promise. You're going to find rest rest for your soul. That means all of those things that stir up, all of those things that are too big for us that we can't fix, God is going to bring those things to their proper resolution to to a point where it brings rest within our soul. Jesus would say that if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth. And he said that the truth will set you free or make you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God brings freedom within a life. Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his Lord does, but I make all things known to you. What does that mean? What can't you bring to your friends? Right? I mean, there are things that we bring to our friends that we can't even bring to our wives. We, we talk to our friends, we talk about, sometimes we talk to our friends about things that we would be ashamed to talk to God about. That's a big mistake. In the Song of Solomon, I think it's in chapter 8, I think it's the second to last verse in the book, Solomon wrote, and, and, and speaking in, in the place of God, he said this, he said, talk to me like you talk to your friends. That's what he says. You talk to your, you, you cause your companions to hear it, cause me to hear it. That means we can bring anything to God, no matter what it sounds like, no matter how shallow, no matter how sinful it exposes us to be. And we're to bring those things to God. He calls us to do it. All of these promises, Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he's speaking of satisfaction that comes within the life. God says there is nothing that I cannot do and nothing that I'm not willing to do. You're to have no other gods but me. Or before me, don't lean on anything else. Lean on me, God says. And so for him to command it, he must be willing to do it. So let me ask you this in closing. What complex problem or problems are you facing today? And what do you do with them? Number one, don't touch it. Don't touch it. I remember when I was working in the city, we were putting in a copper roof, and uh, I was new at copper at the time, and my supervisor said, who's my friend also, he said, make sure you have gloves on when you move those panels, and I thought that he was saying, you know, because they're sharp edges and you'll cut yourself, and so I didn't put the gloves on because I thought, please, (laughs) I have a little bit of callus on my hands, you know, whatever. And so I move over all the panels and we begin um, working on the roof and we start putting, putting in this copper standing seam, beautiful roof, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. By 2 p.m. Uh, that afternoon, as we looked upon this beautiful shiny copper roof, there was this big, fat, dark handprint right in the middle of the shiny copper roof. And he looked at me and he said, did you wear gloves when you moved these panels? And I said, no. And he, he wasn't happy with me. <laughs> Let's put it at that. <laughs> See, I didn't understand the dynamics of what I was dealing with. And thus, I touched something that I shouldn't have touched. And the law of unintended consequences came to bear upon it. Big, fat, ugly handprint right in the middle of this shiny copper thing that will never go away. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing will be tarnished in a week. So it doesn't matter. you know, as soon as raindrops hit it or anything else, it's going to all look like that, you know, and the whole thing. But don't touch it. You don't understand it. Leave it alone. Leave it to God. That's the fastest way through it. Number two is don't forget that God is for you and not against you. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that he's for you. Job said he will perfect that which concerns me. The Bible says that he will bring to completion and perfection all things in your life. Philippians 1.6, it's, it's all over the Bible. He's for you. If you allow yourself to start to believe that God is not for you or that he's against you, you're on your way to making some mistakes within your life. Number three, put your hope only in God and not in anything or anyone else. Put your hope completely in God. If you're um, analytical like I am, When you hear me say that God can and will meet every need within your life, your reply to that, the cynical you and the cynical me, says, then why doesn't he? Why is it that there are still needs in my life if God commands me not to have any other God and I'm to look to nothing else and all the rest, then why doesn't he just automatically meet every need in my life? There's a very simple answer to that question. You know what it is? God says very clearly in his word, he says, I will not share my glory with any other. And when we are leaning upon something else, God will stand aside. He will never allow us, when we get through a trial or a circumstances, and someone says, how did you get through that? He will never allow us to say, God and money got me through this. God and booze got me through this. God and my medication got me through this. God and My psychiatrist got me through this. It's never going to... God says, I will not share my glory. When the attitude of my heart and your heart is God and God alone got me through this or solved this problem, that's when God says, okay, I'm going to move. When did God let Hannah conceive? When she poured it out before him. It was all before him. That's when it happens. And then number four, pray. 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 Pour it out before God. Until the burden is removed, pray it through. Pour it out before him with all honesty. I can't think in my life, and I'm not by any stretch, you know, a veteran in this Christian faith. Think Even if if I was walking with the Lord for 30 years, I'd still be an infant. But I can't think of one issue that I've faced in the 15 years that I've been walking with Christ that that was too complex for me that he hasn't brought me through. And there's, there's ones that are today, because we all have things in our life that are, are troubling to us. But I can't think of one thing that I couldn't solve, that I can't look back now and see that God solved those problems. And He he didn't maybe do it in the way I expected, but I can say he did it in the way that was best. And I can say amen and thank you for the way that he has handled everything that he has handled. And that is how we deal with things in the Christian life. We bring them to God, and we say, God, this is what's going on. This is what's going on within my heart. This is too complex for me. It's too heavy for me. It's too big for me. God, I touched it and messed it all up. And now it's even more complex than it was at the beginning. And God says, I'll take care of it. Trust in me. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Amen? Questions? Comments? Thoughts? Jim. <laughs>